Welcome to the Sport Fuels Life podcast, where we're bringing you interviews with coaches and athletes at the top of their game. This is a community to support coaches, athletes, and fans who share a passion for making the world a better place through athletics. We are serving our community and providing a variety of resources to grow and win as a team in the sports we play and the life we live. We are your hosts. I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And we're so excited to bring you all things Sport Fuels Life. Welcome to the show, Shannon. I'm pretty sure that most of our listeners are familiar with your Olympic journey as one of the 96 gold medalist gymnasts and the Magnificent Seven, but obviously that's just one small section of your story. So I'd like you to share with us a little bit more about yourself, where you're from, how has it had an impact on who you are and what unique life experiences have brought you to this moment in time? <laughs> well, I'm not sure if we have enough hours in the day for all of that, but um, and thank you so much for having me on with all of you. Um, so I grew up in Oklahoma, and that's where I trained and lived and went to school, and I, I loved it there. I grew up with um, an older sister and a younger brother, and I started in gymnastics when I was five. And for me, I, I had never known what gymnastics was. I had never heard of the Olympics. I had never seen the Olympics. I really just got into it because I loved being um, with my older sister. Uh, anything in the world, if you asked me what I wanted to be or do, it was I just wanted to be like my older sister. So when she went into dance, I begged and I pleaded. And finally, uh, my grandmother called my mom and said, please just take her. <laughs> and um, so I started in dance with her. And then the next year, when I was five, we had um, stopped dance for a little bit. And I think we were just a little rambunctious, getting um, to the point where we were trying to do somersaults on the furniture. And my parents, I think at that point, decided it looked something like gymnastics and um, called the gym down the road. And we started and I fell in love. I just absolutely loved the idea of being able to go into this place where I could flip around, jump on a trampoline, do somersaults, um, really just challenge myself in every way. And I loved it. And I think that love just grew. And I went from going one hour a week to, by the time I was nine, I was going four hours a day, five days a week, or no, six days a week. And I started competing when I was nine. And that was a new challenge in and of itself. But, but I enjoyed that as well. And you know, I think it just grew from there. I was never the kid that at, you know, six, year old, six years old, I decided, oh, I want to be an Olympic gold medalist. That never would have even crossed my mind. It was, I want to learn the next skill, or I want to qualify for the next competition, whether that was states or regionals and eventually world championships. And then it was at that point that I thought, well, okay, the next step, I guess, is the Olympic Games. Is that even possible? And um, so for me, it was just kind of this, you know, taking a step up the rung of each uh, of the ladder um, each year and deciding what's the goal for that year and, and then just kind of working to achieve that. So I was in gymnastics myself. I think a lot of girls have a history of that and I was not nearly as good as you, um, but I definitely looked up to you a lot and just kind of idolized your performance and just yeah, you were incredible. And so I guess just having some experience in gymnastics, 
Um, I was a part of the TOPS program and ended up going to the Caroli Ranch and that was super exciting. I was just like struck with awe to be there. But um, I know that gymnastics is so intense and it really takes up so many hours in your day in training. And so I'm curious as to when and, and what part of your life it, it really started to transition and be something that you were just all in for. <laughs> I, you know, I think I was all in mentally and passionately from a very young age, but my parents really kind of held on to that notion that gymnastics is not life, life is life. And they were very focused and very adamant to make sure I had my priorities straight, my perspective in order. For, for us growing up, the three of us, it was education comes first, period. So yes, honey, we will support you in this Olympic dream you want to do, and we'll do what we can. But how did you do on your math test? Where are your grades? What, you know, what are we focused on? And and it was very clear from the very beginning, if I didn't keep up my grades, I didn't get to go to the gym. Now, I never tested that <laughs> because I, I did actually, I'm a bookworm, I, I loved school. Um, my sister set a very high bar at school and I always got all of her teachers. So um, for me, it was that balance of education and sport. And it was something that I think was really healthy and helpful for me as an individual. Because when I was at school and I went to public school um, up until I graduated and then started college, um, college courses while I was training for the 96 games. But for me, when I was at school, I didn't have to think about the really tough skill or how many routines I was going to do at the gym that night. It was just school. And when I went to the gym, we left it at the door. So if you're worried about, you know, the social studies test the next day, well, the gym is not the time to worry about that because you need to be thinking of staying on the beam and not getting injured <laughs> and really focused on what you're doing. And I think that allowed me to kind of have that, that separation and also taught me things like time management, um, priorities, all of those things that are important lessons to learn at a young age. So I think that was helpful. But um, for me, I, I kind of drove the notion that I want to go to the gym more and more and more. In fact, my parents, um, originally when I was about six, the coach came to her and said, you know, she actually, she seems like she really likes it and she's actually not so bad at it. I mean, she's kind of, but I think I could, if she could come a few more hours a week, you know, I think she really could, could move up a little bit more and a little bit quicker. And my parents said, no, they said one hour a week is plenty for a six-year-old. And I begged and pleaded, begged and pleaded. And finally, my dad said, look, I will take her. You know, she's going to get tired of it in like two weeks and we'll be off the hook. <laughs> so 20 years later, I was still doing it. But, um, but I think, you know, they tried to walk that line of being very supportive, but also making sure that I understood sport is, is not necessarily life. You can learn a lot of great life lessons, but let's also maintain some priorities along the way. Wow. Your parents sound awesome. And, um, just, it's so cool to hear that, you know, there's such a balance and maybe even you've mastered this compartmentalization of, you know, you've got your challenges, you've got your troubles, and then you've got your, like, you've got your thing that brings you joy and you're going to like put your troubles aside and really focus on what brings you joy and building that skill as you're growing. 
you know, it's interesting that you say and use the word compartmentalization. And I feel like I've come back to that many times in my life. And I think at a young age, whether innately or through sport or maybe a combination of the two, I got really, really good at compartmentalization. And I think as an athlete, that can prove um, to be such an asset. When you fall off in the middle of a beam routine and you have to get back up and finish that routine within seconds and you have to decide where is my thought process now? Okay, I can cry about this later, but right now I need to think about the next move. You have to have that to some degree and, and maybe to a large degree. But I've also found that there are times in my life that I can over compartmentalize um, with my emotions or dealing with my kids. And it comes so naturally to me that I have to check myself and remember that not everyone around me understands what I'm doing <laughs> in my own mind. And, and so for me, it's, it's kind of finding that happy medium in between. When do I need to compartmentalize and when do I need to just kind of have those emotions and let it all flow together. And, and I think, I, I don't know that I've mastered that yet, but, um, but it's something I'm, I'm conscious of. So I guess kind of speaking to the compartmentalization part and dealing with different skills in gymnastics that may make you a little scared or nervous and then also all of the pain that sometimes <laughs> gymnastics puts on your body. Is that something that maybe helped you get through some learning difficult skills or facing difficult challenges just physically? I think so. I think uh, certainly the idea of fear and nerves, that is something that you have to work on certainly as an athlete. And you can see some of the most talented athletes in the world. And I was not the most talented athlete, even in my gym. My coach will tell you that straight up. <laughs> I was not the strongest. I was not the most flexible. I was not the most talented, but I would outwork anyone. And I did have that mental, I don't know if I want to call it strength, but that ability to kind of block things out. And I think part of that came from me being extremely shy growing up, painfully shy. And so I naturally kind of created this bubble um, for myself. And I think that led to compartmentalization <laughs> and the ability to do that and block out everything going on around me. Um, you know, when you talk about nerves and fear, I think I'm also very logical, um, a logical thinker, which, you know, has its, has its benefits and, and also its detractions. But when I think of fear and I would get overwhelmed or I would get worried, I know my mother would always tell me, you know, worry is not worth it. What does worrying do? It takes your eye off the ball. It causes you to, you know, maybe not get as much sleep or not do all the things you need to be doing or not think about what you're doing. In fact, I just had this talk with my son. He has some standardized testing this week and he's never had that before. And I had this talk with him about worry and that, you know, you can worry, but what does that really do for you? Instead, let's just think of what's the first question and just do your best on that question. And what's the second question? Do your best. And my coach worked with me um, a lot on that as well. Understanding that you just kind of have to get to work. You just have to get started. And a lot of times all that worry that you've built up in your mind amounts to not very much when you just get started and realize you've built this thing up and it's not quite as bad as you think. So 
you know, we worked a lot on that and in the idea of fear and understanding that fear is not being prepared. So we need to maybe go back to drills. Maybe we need a spot. Maybe we need to work on softer mats. You know, whatever those things are, how do we back up so that we can gain more preparation in order to move forward? And I think that's one of the things that my coach did really well was understand that it's not always one step after the next. Sometimes it really is taking a couple step back, steps back in order to get back to where you need to be. And that was an important part of, of kind of that give and take. And it's something that I talk to athletes and parents and coaches about these days is it's not, it's not from A to B without stopping, right? It, it goes like this <laughs> and, and sometimes it goes like that. And you just have to kind of be okay with that and, and take the, that break, take those steps back in order to get forward. Oh, that's so well said. Oh my gosh. Okay. You mentioned being shy and maybe introverted. Um, how did that play into being propelled onto the world stage in 96 and even before that, obviously, but like, how did you navigate that introversion when you're being so much of a spotlight on you. You know, it's interesting, and I look at that often, um, even having this um, interview, talking with you all. Um, now, the main part of what I do is travel across the country in a normal year, and, and I speak to hundreds, if not thousands of people, and I love it. But at the time, really until about my mid-20s, I was scared to talk to anybody, and I was perfectly comfortable not ever doing that. But when it came to sport, when it came to gymnastics, I gained my confidence through the preparation, through doing the work. So when I went out in a, to a competition, not only was I able to kind of block out everything going on around me, block out the audience and, and really music, you know, whatever it was, but I had also done the work. And I think a lot of times our confidence is built on that preparation if we've done something, if we've done the repetition, then it's a lot easier to move forward. It's, you know, when you haven't studied for the test <laughs> or, you know, you skipped a few practices, yeah, you're gonna lose a little bit of confidence and, and maybe you should, <laughs> but it's, it's one of those things where the more I worked, the more confidence I gained in what I was doing. And for me, it wasn't about going out necessarily and performing for others, it was going out and performing the skills that I had done in the gym a zillion times and just trying to make it the very best that I could. And if I focused on that, then I didn't have to think about everything else going on. And I will say, you know, I had the benefit of growing up when, you know, there wasn't social media. There really wasn't internet like we have it today. <laughs> I didn't get internet until after I was retired from the 96 game. So you weren't inundated with that constancy of um, knowing people were actually watching. You kind of knew it, but it just wasn't real. Um, unless you maybe read the newspaper um, or watched it on television, which I didn't watch a lot of gymnastics on television growing up, unless I was watching specific videos, specific skills to learn something better or um, figure out an angle or whatnot for, you, for the physics of gymnastics. That's what I would watch it for. But otherwise, my parents were big advocates of don't, don't read your own media because <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's a good story or a bad story, whether you fell five times at a competition or you won, 
that should not affect what you do in the gym today because you always just go in and give it 100%. So I guess, you know, shifting gears and all of your experience as an athlete and now you're out there traveling across the country speaking to tons of people, I guess is there a recurring message or what is the biggest impact that you are trying to share with the younger generation? Well, and I will say I talk to a lot of different audiences. Um, and for those that, that don't know, I'm also a cancer survivor. I'm an ovarian cancer survivor. I was diagnosed in 2011. And I count that even with all of the Olympics and injuries and whatnot, I count that as significantly the, the hardest thing I've ever had to do, had to go through. And so for me, when I go out and talk, a lot of times I am really just talking about the challenges that we face as people, whether it is in our health or it's sport or it's business, and how do we overcome that? How do we break through? So I talk about the gold medal mindset is what I call it. And that includes for me, things like goal setting, long-term goals, short-term goals, smart goals, but also the one thing I, I often find is left out of that goal setting conversation is the importance of follow through. Because it's not enough to know what we need to do, but we also have to go out and do what we need to do each day. We can't just write the list. We've actually got to check things off along the way. So I talk about that. I talk about um, the importance of preparation and practice um, because oftentimes people do see that gold medal moment. They do see the big business presentation but what they don't see is all of the work that went into that six months, years, whatever it takes. It's not the stuff that goes on social media. It's what I call the magical leotard moment. It's not the, the moment where you put on the sparkly leotard and you go and you compete. It's all the stuff in the gym when it's hot, sweaty, chalky, smelly, and you're doing sit up after sit up after sit up. But that's where the magic happens. It's in the work we do each day. Um, I talk about um, positive mental attitude and how important that is and how we can achieve that. Um, maybe not every day because it's tough out there, but, um, but how, how can you get to that and why is that so important? Uh, the importance of teamwork and understanding who's on your team, identifying those teammates and also understanding how we can be good team members as well. And a big one that I talk about is a commitment to excellence. And for me, that's not about being perfect. It's not about never making a mistake, never having a bad day, that's impossible. But I think commitment to excellence just means that you go out each day and no matter how big or small the task, you just give it 100%. You know, if we all go out and you know, you, you give it 100% on that push up, and you really have the best form you can have and you really make it count. And then you do that 100 times. And then you do that five days a week for 10 years guess what? You're going to make a big impact. But if you go in and you kind of like, you're okay, I'll get through it. You're not making as much of a, an impact because it's the little moments that matter. So giving that hundred percent, no matter how big or small the task is so important. And I think through those lessons, you also learn the importance of resilience, that, that get back up attitude, how, you know, we're all going to fall. We're all going to make mistakes. We're going to have failures. It's often what we do next that matters most. So understand you're gonna have mistakes, it's part of learning, it's, it's part of life, it's part of sport, it's part of business, but what do you do next? 
Oh, wow. This is such good, just life advice. And it's really inspirational. I wonder if you'd be willing to talk more about your um, fight with cancer and maybe if there were any tools that you used that you were complete, like when you were competing as an elite athlete, what tools did you bring in to fighting that battle? Because, you know, that's life or death. And like, it's got to be such a, a tough diagnosis to receive. So I guess what was the mindset there and how did you maybe compartmentalize that feeling of like despair and then take on the more champion mindset? You know, it's, it's interesting uh, that you, you asked the question in that way, because that's kind of what happened. I was um, actually diagnosed after surgery. So I'll back up a, a couple of months. It was the fall of 2010. I had just launched my company devoted to women's health that summer. And it's something I had been working on for years. It finally launched. I was doing um, radio. I was hosting a radio show that was focused on health. And so I was interviewing doctors and nurses. And as we moved into that fall, we were talking a lot about cancer awareness and the importance of getting to your exams, um, making sure you know that we understood early diagnosis, early detection can save lives and, and all of those important things. And it was about that time that I called up, I, I found out on my schedule, I was gonna be um, flying. <laughs> I was traveling on the day of my next appointment. So I called up to cancel and I thought, I have so much on my plate right now. Um, our son had just turned a year old. I've got holidays coming up, you know, it's crazy. I'll put it off to the next year. You know, just to January sometime. And as I was waiting on hold, I just felt that sinking feeling, that, that feeling that I was not walking the walk. As an advocate for women's health, I was not doing what I was asking other women to do. And I ended up um, telling the receptionist that day, look, I, you know, I can't be in there on this time, but maybe I can get on a first available list. And she quickly said, actually, there's a cancellation on the other line. Can you come over now? And it was during that appointment that morning, I found out that I had a baseball cyst on my left ovary. And that kind of went into this whirlwind of tests and, and scans and this waiting, wait and observation period that was probably the most excruciating thing that, that I've maybe been through, not knowing what the future holds, not knowing if, if there is a future, not knowing if, if my son is going to have a mother. And it was during that time and that complete loss of control that I just felt completely helpless. And in January, I had surgery to remove um, the, the tumor and found out when I woke up that it was a rare form of ovarian cancer, but they had caught it early. And I would still need to go through a pretty aggressive chemotherapy regimen, but we now kind of had a plan of action. We knew what we were, like, were dealing with. We knew what we could do next. And while I didn't really know exactly where I was gonna end up, I felt like I was now going to be part of some sort of solution, some sort of moving forward. And I think that's when it clicked for me. That's when I suddenly reverted back to that mentality that I had gained through sport. And all of those lessons that I just spoke about, the goal setting and teamwork and positive attitude and all of these things came flooding back for me. And I think I, I started to get a bit more in the right mindset. Now, <laughs> I will say that chemotherapy was definitely the toughest thing I've ever had to do, and that came with its own challenges. But I think through that, those lessons 
that I learned through sport, I credit those lessons with helping me along this journey. That's so beautiful. And just, I'm so amazed at your tenacity and resilience through that whole process. I think um, there's not a, a single person that doesn't know someone who's had cancer or struggled with it. Um, and it's just such a, a massive heartbreak when you find out someone you love has it. So how did your family rally around you? How did you, what kind of team did you have around you at that time? You know, I think everyone handles it a little bit differently. Um, my mother's a cancer survivor as well. She was diagnosed a few years before me in 2008, um, different type of cancer, not a genetically linked cancer. And I remember how helpless I felt while she was going through surgery and chemo. Um, and now going through this, one of the things that I really had to learn was how to accept help. And that, that was a big learning curve for me because I've always been one of those people that if the work needs to get done, I'll do the work. Just tell me what to do and I will do it. I'm a workhorse and I just, I get things done. And so to not be able to be that person um, was really difficult and people were offering help. And it took me a little while to realize that I needed to start accepting and that it wasn't just about me. <laughs> it was also people really wanted to do something. They wanted to help in some way, just like I wanted to help my mother in some way. And so for me, um, you know, this team wasn't just the medical, which was incredible and, and so critical, but it was friends and family um, neighbors, people willing to pitch in and help out, whether it was to, you know, come play with, with our son for, for a little bit when I couldn't get out of bed, um, helping with bringing home dinners. It was my husband who had to eat the spaghetti sauce out in the hallway because I couldn't stomach the smell at all. <laughs> so he'd go outside the condo and he'd, you know, eat in his quarter, eat the quarter <laughs> and then come in. You know, it's, it's just all that little stuff that makes such a big difference. And you know, for anyone out there that is going through something like this, um, for those going through it personally, I know it's hard to accept that help, but really it's, you're not just helping yourself, but you're helping those around you by accepting that help because you're giving something to do to someone that really wants to help. And, and for those that are maybe concerned about reaching out, about bothering someone in, in this difficult time, reach out, you know, whether it's a note, whether it's coming to help clean the kitchen, whatever that is that can help, you know, it really does matter. And it really is true. You know, you never know when one word or one act and even the smallest of moments may just give someone hope and you really may just give them the strength to carry on, to take that next forward step. You know, so you're talking about forming this team to help get you through and kind of struggling with the idea of asking for help after you have spent so many years of accomplishing so many things basically on your own. Just, I know that gymnastics is a team sport, but it is you out there competing as an individual. So I'm sure it took a while for you to kind of come to that team mindset, mindset in a different way, just to accept that help from others. Um, 
and combining it with what you discussed earlier in your champion's mindset. So I guess for people who may not have all that years of practice in developing that to prepare them for life's challenges and anything that it can throw at them, what are some suggestions that you may have for anyone to just take that first step in having that gold medal mindset that you were mentioning? Well, I think you first to kind of go back a little bit to the idea of teamwork. I think for me, I relearned what teamwork means through my cancer journey, because I think sometimes you get into this idea that uh, gymnastics is an individual sport, but it really never is. To your point, it is a team sport. It may not just be the athletes out on the field of play all wearing the same uniform. It's your coaches. For me, it was my coaches, my parents, um, you know, the, uh, my community there in Oklahoma, my teachers who helped me stay up with my education while I was chasing this Olympic dream. It really does take a team. And I was really brought back to that and forced to begin to truly understand what that word team means through my cancer journey. But I think as a whole, when I talk about the gold medal mindset, it's not that you have to have been an Olympic gold medalist to understand these concepts or to have lived them. I think sports does allow us to learn a lot of these great life lessons, but that's at every stage. It's not just at the Olympic level. It's not just at the collegiate or the professional level. It's all along the way. And I think there are lessons that we can learn at any time and really at any age. You don't have to have trained 40 hours a week or anything like that. You know, I think for goal setting, that's just something you have to pay attention to. You have to sit down and make yourself do it. I have retreats four times a year for my company. And um, for us, we, we do it as a family as well. And we have goals in you know, different categories. And then we create, okay, this is our long-term goal. This is what we want to accomplish in a year or three years or five years. And then back that up. What do you have to do each month? What do you have to do each week or even each day? in order to chip away and, and kind of accomplish that ultimate goal and get some, get some feeling of accomplishment along the way by being able to check off the list. I like to have something to accomplish each day so that I can check something off the list and feel good. <laughs> yes, I did it. <laughs> and I don't think the idea of teamwork, it's remembering who your team is and maybe reaching out to identify that team. So who is that community, whether it's with your job, with your sport, with your family, stay in contact, create a network because you never know when you're gonna need a little help, whether it's just getting a question answered or um, having help in a certain area or when you're able to help somebody else. So really doing the work to not only create this network, but to stay in contact. And that's been something that I have to work at as a person I feel like a little bit harder because I am an introvert. And so it's harder for me to reach out just randomly <laughs> and, and ask people to go to lunch. It, that is not my normal comfort zone, but I have really tried to work at doing that because the people on the other end, not only does it, you know, it makes them feel good to, to also be invited to lunch, but it also, um, makes them feel good to be a part of something just like it does for me in turn when I'm asked. So it's all those little things. Um, I don't think there's anything in my mindset, in that gold medal mindset that you can't learn 
you can't achieve and you can't do at any age and at any level and at any stage of your life. Wow, you're really speaking to my introvert heart right now. <laughs> I have one of those that like has a reminder set on my phone, like text a friend today. Like, it's just helpful <laughs> to be able to remember that you can put yourself out there and people do appreciate hearing from you. My husband jokes that, um, that the pandemic, the lockdown has actually just given me an excuse to stay in the house and in my jammies and my comfort zone. <laughs> it's true. We all are better off in our jammies, probably. <laughs> um, I'm curious, you know, you are probably on the list of so many young athletes when they are asked, who is your sports hero, but who, who is your sports hero? You're part of this like legendary historic situation. Um, who do you look to for inspiration? You know, there's not one person that I've ever looked to for inspiration. I like to look at a lot of different, you know, if we're talking sports, um, a lot of different athletes, um, all at different stages. I mean, they're not necessarily household names. Uh, for me growing up, it was the older girls in my gym. Uh, my gym consisted, when I, when I started, my gym consisted of 12 girls. <laughs> and we rented space out of a bigger gym. Um, so for me, it was the older girls that were training with me every day, and I watched how hard they trained, and I saw them bring home ribbons and medals, and I thought, well, if I can work that hard like they do, maybe that could be me one day. So, um, you know, them, my sister, um, who started in gymnastics with me, but quickly went on to swimming and other sports, um, and then, you know, athletes that I came across, you know, there were some that I loved their dance and choreography and the beauty of their moves and others that I just, I loved and adored how powerful they were and others, their work ethic. And so it was just taking a little bit of something from so many of the athletes that I came across. And again, yes, in gymnastics, but in a variety of sports as well. And then I think as a person, um, you know, I probably my biggest role model has been my mom and my dad is, is fantastic as well. But I think just watching her growing up and um, again, seeing how hard both my parents work to do what they could for us as kids. Um, it, it kind of makes me now having two kids of my own and, and knowing how hard it is. I just kind of want to every day say, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> just call to say thanks. Well, so you have so much energy and just drive and determination. It's no wonder that with all the role models in your life that you have transitioned beautifully in life just to transform into something else and start a business of your own. Um, so you've just got to continue to channel this energy, it seems, and continue to set new goals for yourself. So I guess, tell us a little bit more about your business and any goals that you have related to that or coming up in the future. Well, I have a variety of goals. Um, I won't go into all of them, but <laughs> I think business-wise, um, my focus really has been on ways that I can help women make their, their health a priority. And I think because health is such a broad topic, you know, whether it's nutrition or stress management, exercise, um, you know, there's, there's a zillion things when we talk about health, getting to your appointments, you know, all of those things. Um, early on, I think we were focused in so many different areas that it almost became one of those um, things where, you know, you're doing a little bit in every area, but you're not doing your best in one area. And so we've kind of 
reined it in over the last couple of years. And I have this posted above um, in my office above the door right now. And it's something that I, uh, I've learned and I was told by, um, by another gentleman we had, and we had actually been in a, um, a celebrity car race together. <laughs> and, and he is a, I will say just a, a huge persona and, and someone who runs an incredible, incredible business. And I just wanted to pick his brain early on in my company. And so I was up in New York and I said, Hey, do you mind if I come over? I just, I'd love to chat for a little bit. And again, trying to network, trying to um, gain advice from others and, and find those people in my life that I could kind of pattern after and learn something from those mentors. And so I sat in his office and I explained all these things I wanted to do. And he said, well, you know, that's a lot. It's very broad. What do you really, every day, what do you focus on and do? I mean, in gymnastics, you know, you got up every day and you said, I need to do this many routines, that many routines, and that many sit-ups and whatnot. What do you do each day? And I said, well, I just, I really want to help some woman out there make her health a priority. And I don't care how it happens. It might be exercise today. It might, for someone else, it might be stress management. For someone else, it might be something different. But I just want to help women. And he said, well, then you need to write that down. Wake up each day and try to figure out how do I help one woman make her health a priority today? And then you go out and you do it. And I love that. And I do it every single day. I read that and I think, okay, whatever I do today, how do I help just one woman, <laughs> one, make her health a priority and not feel guilty about it? Just how do I do that? And so that's my focus. And that truly is my goal. It's not an Olympic gold medal. It's not some crazy, I need to help a million people today. I just want to help one woman make her health a priority today. And if I do that, then I can kind of put that in the, in the W column and, and call it a win. Oh, that's so inspiring. I feel like, especially entering into motherhood, like I, my daughter's nine now, but like when she was first born, I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, how do I keep a human alive and myself? Like, <laughs> that's a lot. And I think you're giving women a space to say like, yes, you can take care of yourself and be a loving mother and be a great wife and be a good friend and be a good daughter, sister, whatever. Um, and that's, I think we kind of need that permission slip. And I feel like you're kind of handing that to us. You know, I, I love the way you put that. It is a permission slip and not that I feel like I'm the one to give that permission out, but, but I'll do it. <laughs> um, I, but I think that's true. I think we all have this sense of guilt that if we aren't giving to everyone and everything else and we're doing something for ourselves, then we're taking time away from all of those other obligations. And it took cancer to remind me that if I don't take care of my own health, I'm not going to be here for all of those who depend on me. I am not helping my son if I don't focus on my health. And I think the other portion of that is when our children see us making our health a priority, they see that, they understand that, they grow up with that, and they will in turn make their health a priority as they grow. And that's so important because as a mom, you know, kids don't usually learn by what we tell them, they learn by what we do. And so that's really an important example to set for others. And, 
And I think that also kind of gives us that hall pass. And I'm not saying the guilt ever goes away. I, I mean, I feel it every day because you want to do everything for everyone and yourself. But I do, do think it allows you to give yourself a little bit of a break and say, you know what? Helping me doesn't mean I'm not helping someone else. Helping me actually helps me help someone else. So what are some things that you do in, in leading by example in prioritizing your own health for your kids to see or just anyone? Well, I definitely don't. I don't hide that I try to get to workouts and do fitness. I don't hide that, you know, I have a little bit of a chocolate issue <laughs> and that I need to try to do better and I need to work on that. And I don't hide that, you know, you know, I probably need to drink more water. And so I draw attention to, okay, hey, I'm going to do, will you guys help me do a little bit better? Remind me to drink some water today and I will do the same and we'll do it together. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to be very transparent about what we're going through. Um, I talk to them about the importance of sleep and why it's important. It's not just because I really want you to go to bed early. It's because it does help your brain function and it helps you feel better and it helps you be more productive and energized. And, you know, you want to do all these things tomorrow, but, you know, if you fall asleep doing it, then you, then you don't get to participate. So, you know, I think it's having that open dialogue and being part of it. It's not just that I want you to be healthy because I'm your mom. It's, I want all of us to be healthy because we're all, we're in this together. This is a family unit and we need to help each other um, when, when we're trying to keep that health going. That's such a good position to take. I think it's definitely something that families more now than maybe even when we were kids, like we, it was like, don't ask why it's because I said so. But now <laughs> I think we're taking this position as moms and dads across the nation, just being like, here's why. Cause I always wondered why when I was a kid, but I never got that answer. And so if it makes sense that, Oh, I drink water because my body needs it and I'll be healthier. Okay, fine. I'll drink the water. But like, <laughs> otherwise I'm not going to do that. Cause you told me, you know, it's funny. And I, I have actually used the words because I said so it, occasionally <laughs> and I hear my mother when I'm saying it, but, but there, so there's occasions when you need it, but I do think understanding the why is important. And I know as an athlete, it was important. My balance beam coach, she always explained the why. So it was never um, do 10 beam routines because I said so. It's we're doing this many because of this. And she was very research oriented. She was um, a, amazing with physics, which I have more of a mathematical brain set. And, and so it was always, you know, instead of saying stop falling off the beam, it was, all right, you fell that time. So did you notice your left hip went this way? Well, what happens when your left hip goes that way? Well, your shoulder goes that way. And then that causes, you know, it, she would go into the intricacies of this entire education and process. So when I went back up, I wasn't just thinking, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. It was the mechanics of what I needed to do correctly. And I loved that and it always made a huge impact on me, um, even outside of sport, understanding why I've been asked to do something, understanding why I'm asking someone else to do something. I do think that's important. Absolutely. Okay, just one more question before we let you go. Um, I'm curious, just, uh, I mean, we've got a lot of young athletes and coaches, high school coaches, college coaches listening. Do you have any advice that um, might inspire them to 
help their, their team or to be just better at what they're doing in their own game? I think, you know, kind of above and beyond some of those, um, the things that I include in the gold medal mindset, um, I guess I, the advice I'd give is the same advice I had growing up. And number one was setting goals. We've talked a lot about that today, but setting those long-term goals, setting those short-term goals, because you really need something to get up and go after each day. You need that motivation and you need to hold yourself accountable because no one else is going to do it. So I think that's really important. Something my parents taught me at a very young age was to never set limits on what you can do. I mean, there was no reason this scrappy little girl with big hair from Oklahoma was supposed to win seven Olympic medals. I mean, that was, that was not supposed to happen, but it can happen. If you're willing to go out there and do the work, you never know what you can achieve. And so don't limit yourself, but also don't let others limit you. And sometimes we can take those sources beyond ourselves that think maybe you know, for me, you know, too small, not strong enough, not flexible enough, uh, you know, whatever those things are, and we can internalize that. Don't do it. You know, instead of finding all the reasons why you can't achieve something, your job is to find all the reasons why you will achieve it. And so I think that's important. And the last bit that I would say is to have fun. I think so often we get sucked into this idea that it can't be fun. It can be fun. <laughs> so go out there and have fun. Keep that passion alive. And having fun doesn't mean that it's a piece of cake every single day. No, it's tough. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to enjoy what you're doing because you're going to be so much better at it when you do. Wow. Thank you for that message. So where can our listeners follow you or connect with you, maybe on social media or any other platforms? Sure. My website is shannonmiller.com. Pretty easy. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I would say mostly Instagram at shannonmiller96. And then on YouTube where I have, you know, everything from fitness videos to Kind of some inspirational motivational things and some gymnastics how-to I have a little bit of a variety of everything but YouTube and um, Facebook at Shannon Miller official awesome well we are so grateful for your time today this has been such an honor for us to speak with you and um, we are just excited to see how your business continues to grow and how you help one more woman <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that thank you all so much yeah have a great day time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.